Welcome to Me, You, Us, a well-being podcast. It's another Well-Being Wednesday here at Consumers Energy, and I'm your host, Bill Krieger. Today, we're going to kick off a four-part series where we talk to veterans who have transitioned from the military life into the civilian life. My first guest is my co-worker, Janice Smith. She's a supply chain coordinator here at Consumers Energy and an Air Force veteran. So Janice, if you'll introduce yourself, we'll get the conversation started. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Janice Smith, I've been with the company for 22 years now. Um, I am a supply chain coordinator, which is kind of a fancy name for I supervise uh, storerooms. And I have five of those. I have uh, five storerooms throughout the state. So I cover um, pretty much out, out west. Well, sounds like you might be a little bit busy. <laughs> absolutely. And I absolutely love it. So It's good to love what you do. So Janice, we're doing these podcasts. I'm, I'm talking with people who have served in the military, people who have just served four or five years, people who have retired, people who have only served in the reserves, people who are on active duty and so on, just to get an idea of what it's like to be a veteran and also be a member of the consumer's family. So you are an Air Force veteran. Can you talk to us about what you did in the Air Force and what your experiences were? Yep, absolutely. Um, I joined the Air Force right out of high school, um, and I really joined because I had a brother who was a, at the time, a Marine Corps drill instructor who told me that I was I wouldn't be able to make it in the military because it's too disciplined for me. Uh, I did join directly out of high school. I enrolled um, literally within about four weeks. I did leave uh, the January, so I graduated in June. Uh, my basic training started in January of 1990. So it was definitely um, an interesting time because obviously, you know, that, you know, not that I'm aging myself, but it was a few years uh, back. So I did have a little bit of experiences, although I had an all all female flight all fleet you know, during basic training. And I had uh, moved kind of into the co-ed section during training. Um, I did my basic training at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. And then I moved on to Colorado for my for my ATI training. Uh, during that training is was when we kind of moved into the co-ed sector of of life. I was uh, I went into food service as well as billeting. So my I was in charge of um, learning the basics of cooking, um, but I did both. So I did cooking and baking. I did both sides of the spectrum, um, as well as like logistics. So I was in charge of um, pretty much organi- organizing, making sure we know where we're staying, making sure we know you know the bunks that we're in um, whenever we went on deployments, that type of thing. When I uh, left there, I was in the reserve, so I was Air Force Reserve. Uh, I was stationed out of um, St. Clair Shores on itself as Air Force Base. Directly out of out of uh, got back home. Uh, then I went um, about two months through my reserve status, and then I ended up being um, we got activated over to Germany for four weeks um, for some training. So I went to Germany um, over to Ramstein Air Force Base. Um, upon returning from there, we got sent uh, back to Georgia for some additional training. I was the only female in my unit, um, which at the time didn't seem like it was a big deal to me. You know, I was very young, uh, very inexperienced in a lot of the ways of the world. So uh, definitely, you know, got taken under a lot of wings. You know, everybody wanted to you know, make sure I was protected. Um, we got sent to and as you know, in that in that time, our world kind of came to some some issues, and we were sent over 
Down to Georgia in a remote place, I honestly couldn't tell you right now, Bill, where we were actually located. We were in Georgia um, on a remote training site for four weeks. Uh, we were being trained for Desert Storm. We knew that's what we were going for. We 100% knew that upon our training, we would be sent overseas. Uh, that's when we were fighting with uh, Osama bin Laden. Uh, we had some issues over there, and uh, our unit was deployed. We were activated. Uh, we were ready to go. The day before we shipped out overseas, I was called down to the commander's office and was told that I was not being sent. Um, they were reserving me back uh, because I was the only female in my unit. Um, I was not allowed to go. The commander was not going to allow me because of my age, because of my inexperience. Um, although in my mind at the time and still today, that's what I signed up for. I, you know, I wrote that blank check to my country that I will serve, um, you know, if it if it included you know, my life, that's what I was serving for. Um, so it was it was a devastating blow to me. Um, so it was it was difficult. Um, but I did. Um, I got sent back on a commercial airline. And funny story with that, my mother and father got the call that I was not going. So, of course, my mom's very ecstatic because she's got, at this point, two children who are in the military, uh, concern over our health. When I actually arrived at Beckett Selfridge Air Force Base, uh, there was some commotion at the guard shack at the gate because the guard shack told my mom that, no, that unit left for overseas. So here my mom had this emotional roller coaster that, no, she wasn't being sent to, yeah, they were all sent. Uh, so when my cab pulled up, because I, everything was, you know, 100% commercial. I got a commercial airline. I got a cab. Um, when I pulled up, like literally the emotion that she felt was, you know, my heart broke for her because I wanted to go. I didn't want to stay back. So uh, it was very diff a difficult time for me. Um, I did. My, when my troop, my group came back, uh, they came back, uh, all of them came back healthy, which was, you know, amazing for me. And uh, it still bothers me today. And it's been, you know, 30 years, but um, glad to have served, happy to have served, um, but also, you know, very happy that we all came back safe. It almost sounds like your brother Double Dog dared you to join. Yeah, yeah I know that sibling rivalry. So it's interesting because there are all sorts of reasons why people join the military. And when I talk to people, they're all different. And and honestly, that one was a, a new one for me. You know, working in the DE&I space, we talk about being the only in the room. And it sounds like when you went into your training, you, you're the only female in this group of uh, males. And it's the military. So traditionally at that time, that was kind of a, a man's world, quote unquote. What did it feel like to be the only in the room? It sounds like they took care of you. But on the other hand, I mean, there's being the only uh, female in that unit probably came with its own special challenges for you. Uh, most definitely. Uh, it definitely was a lot of challenges. I was protected. I will say that uh, first and foremost, my um, commanding officer right down to, you know, the guys on the line with me definitely um, kind of treated me like the little sister. And they were always, you know, like I felt, though, for me that I had to work harder to prove that I had a spot there uh, where some of them. I mean, I it was just one of those things that I felt I had to work harder to overcome it. But I would never allow that to be the barrier of why I why I failed. 
uh, I continued to push myself. Um, we did find when I was at Ramstein Air Force Base, I actually had a civilian. Uh, a lot of times in in the in the food service within the military, there are civilians behind the scenes that do a lot of the cleanup work. Um, I, I was spoiled, and I can tell you that my husband today still tells you that I can cook a mean meal, but I can also make a lot of dirty dishes in that time frame because I always had someone coming behind me cleaning up where I don't have that today. Well, he 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 plays that role today, but. But when we were at Ramstein, uh, I was because I did have an all, you know, all male unit except for myself. There was a, a gentleman who was German who yelled at me in German. Uh, I didn't. I just kind of was like, hey, what's going on? You know, I'm a 19 year old kid. I don't have a clue what's going on. Uh, he actually didn't like Americans. He did not like females and felt that I did not to, need to be there. He ended up coming after me with a knife in the kitchen. And I still thought, oh, we're, you know, this guy's crazy, but never saw the threat to me until oh. the, he ended up being removed by the military police because he truly didn't believe I should be in the kitchen, which, you know, I was like, why? Why can't I be in the kitchen? I'm a good cook. But yeah, definitely a, a time back in that space that was very much different than it is today. So that was probably right around the time where there was this discussion about women in combat and whether or not women should be in combat. And so it sounds to me, and you said it, but I really want to reiterate this. You did all of the same training. You did all of the same work as your as your male counterparts. And when it came time to do what you had been trained to do, you were held back simply because you were a female. And it sounds to me like that still sticks in your mind today. At that moment, how did that make you feel? It made me feel like I was less than my male counterparts. Although I was um, physically fit, I was completely trained, I, in my mind, felt and knew that I was ready. Um, but it with just because they label, well, they didn't label me because I was female, but because they placed that you're the only female in the unit, you're young, they kind of played a lot of factors into why they wouldn't, why they wouldn't allow me to go. Um, mainly being that I was a female. Uh, it, it bothered me. It bothered me a lot. It made me feel like I had to work harder to prove myself. Although as much work as I put into it, I wasn't going to go simply because I was a female, which is heartbreaking when you have put the time and the energy to train for it. Um, they didn't look at me at my ability. They looked at me at, at, at my gender. Again, seems patently unfair. You know, I think things have changed quite a bit since then. I think there's still a ways to go. So let's fast forward a little bit. Uh, you're in the Air Force Reserves. Uh, at some point, you transitioned into the civilian world. So can we kind of talk about how you left the Air Force and then, you know, what happened after that? Uh, so when I went in active reserve, I actually had made a move from Michigan down to Georgia. Uh, and I was, they didn't have a unit for me down there. Uh, so I moved from that, that military space into the civilian space. And I, uh, when you join the workforce, if you will, outside of uh, coming off the military, what you find is people believe that you're abrupt. Um, you're kind of, a, I mean, in, 
I've said it, I've said it to my nieces and nephews as they were growing up, we need to get some, you know, we need to move, we need to get, you know, some structure. And people felt that I was um, kind of abrupt, that I was, I just wanted to get stuff done. Let's get it done. Let's check it off and move on to the next thing. Uh, so you, you kind of have a, a label put on you, I believe, when you come out of the military that, well, they're, they're a little rough, a little rough around the edges. You might want to, you know, just, you know, treat them with kid gloves. But I think as you work into the workforce, that trait then becomes very appreciated because you don't have, although you, at that point, you may not have your, a university yet you may not have you haven't may have went to college yet or get your have your degree but what you have is training that has put you into a position that you are very self-disciplined uh, that you are very regimented um, I know for me I was ridiculously just obsessed with ironing everything it took me years to put my iron down because I would iron everything every day you know, pillowcases, jeans, I don't care what it was. There was nothing in my house that had a wrinkle on it. So um, just those things that you have to rebuild your mindset to not be so structured. But it actually is, you know, was a great transition for me. I had zero issue with it because I went into an industry that appreciated that. So I, I, I didn't have any trouble at all. But I was definitely, I stuck out sometimes like a sore thumb because I was very much a, you know, methodical and by the book. Yes. And understandable because when you're in the military, that's how you uh, have to be a lot of the time. Right. So what were, uh, what were some of the attributes and you talked about a little bit here, but what were some of the attributes that held you back at first in the civilian world and, and how did people really react to that? And then what, what are some of the things that you learned and that you applied that have helped you get where you're at today? Um, I would say some of the attributes that held me back was just that um, that mindset that you just wanted to get work done. And it always, it seemed to put people off like, oh, you know, a little rough around the edges there. But it, it's not that it was rough. It was like, I felt like people thought I was demanding. Like I demanded of them what I was willing to give to them as well. And that, that's one of the for me, that was the one of the hardest things to overcome was that I was, and I still am, and I'm, and I'm non-apologetic for it. I will always be, I will give 110% every time I do something, but I have that same expectation of people giving that back to me. And I think that's where that barrier, um, a lot of times with those who have served, um, yourself included, you know exactly that you expect a lot of others because you're going to give that to them. A question that pops up in my mind, and I've had a lot of conversations with people, and I've worked for women who are in, you know, different levels of of business, but I find that there's almost a double standard. So you want to get things done, and you're a go-getter, and those are all great things if you're a man, but if you're a woman, sometimes that puts a different kind of label on you. Did you find that as you were transitioning at all? Yes, uh, I very much so did. Um, during the transition, um, what I what was said quite often is that I was aggressive, um, that I didn't that I didn't want to listen to other people's opinions, uh, which in turn wasn't the case. Um, 
because I did listen to other others' opinions, uh, and I had a tendency, um, you know, through that transition that I found that when that happened, I would kind of take a step and kind of shut down. And that's something I had to retrain myself to not allow that shutdown, um, to not let that opinion change who I was. Well, and, and that makes sense. Do you feel in a, in, a, in a way that the training you received in the military helped you to kind of identify those feelings and evaluate them and then overcome them? Absolutely. Uh, and I think for me, the training you re- that I received in the military, uh, like your basic training is, if you've never been through basic training, it is the biggest mind game that you will ever play in your entire life. Uh, I I happened to be very lucky in the sense that my brother was a Marine Corps drill instructor at the time. Didn't didn't realize how much it helped me. Uh, and I know that uh, Sergeant Lee was our my instructor. And I will never forget the man in my entire life because he was about the same age as my brother, same size. And he truly tried to break me through basic training. I mean, I did not cry. I did not break down. I did not give what he was asking. You know, it was like he would tear my wall locker apart. He would tear apart everything that I did. It felt like to me that he was literally trying to get me to break. Uh, And I just wouldn't give that to him. Uh, At the end of our training, you have what's called an amnesty hour with your instructors. Uh, Your unit sets down. So our whole flight sat down with our instructors. And at that time, Sergeant Lee said, no, mind you, my last name at the time was Helsel. Uh, he called me Hassel the entire time. He never enunciated my name correctly, which that's what they do. Again, it's a mind game. And he said, uh, hey, Helsel, do you want to let anybody know on your know, know your secret? I'm like thinking to myself, what is my secret? I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Uh, and that's when he presented me with a stack of envelopes from my brother. Uh, Greg had sent an envelope every week with, you know, Marine Corps recruiting depot, Staff Sergeant Greg Helsel, you know, with all of his credentials on the envelope. And then the inside would just be like, so did your instructor like the the envelope this week? So I never received those letters. I, at no point during my training did I ever receive a letter from my brother. He kept every one of those. And I think he was challenging himself to break me because I was the sister of a Marine Corps drill instructor. So there was almost like a, I felt like a pawn at that point when I learned that he actually knew of my brother, because I was not speaking of that. Um, So that was, at that moment was like my defining moment that, hey, I did beat this. I didn't allow that to break me. And I think I've carried that same thing through life. You know, I might get quiet, I might shut down, but it doesn't break me. It just makes me stronger on the inside. Well, that that's an amazing. So I had to feel pretty good uh, at the end to to have that happen. I did want to ask something. I know that a while back you received an award from uh, ESGR Employee Support for Guard and Reserve. Uh, they give Patriot Awards to uh, employers that stand out and that take uh, care of their veterans. So could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, I was a new supervisor uh, within meter reading. I had the West Branch headquarters uh, was one of my responsibilities. And we had I had hired uh, at the time it was a temporary meter reader uh, who had came to me 
um, really even during the interview process to let me know that he had some obligations uh, within the military. He he was actually um, had come off of active duty, was in the reserves, but was also in charge of some trainings. And he literally let me know right at, right out of the gate. Hey, I have some you know annual training coming up. It's two weeks, um, but it's not going to be till the end of you know like several months down the road. So it won't be a problem. Just wanted to give me a heads up. And you know I went through the process with him as far as you know make sure you have where you need to go to get your paperwork, what we need to do to make sure that you have everything on file. You know your military status. Um, actually, had some good conversation with him, and it was. Maybe six weeks later, he come, he actually called me and said, hey, I have a problem. He said that training was moved and they want me next week. And I went, okay, we can make that happen. I mean, that's what we do. We, we allow our individuals with military responsibilities the time it takes. And so I just said, okay, awesome. We'll, we'll work it out. So, you know, did some work with scheduling, you know, made sure we were covered with no, no problem. Uh, that same individual, when he got to his training, there was some conversation uh, with some of the other instructors that he was working with and that were complaining that they had some terrible, terrible experiences with their employers because of the move up in the schedule, because it was last minute notification. Um, and Eric said to his commander, I, I didn't have any of that. And I just got like, a, OK, we'll make it work. Uh, his commander actually is the one that suggested to him to put in for um, the award because not a lot of places acknowledge what the military requirements are. And he felt that consumers, um, specifically to my to me at that point, taking the time to just say, OK, we'll support you. We'll do what we need to do, um, felt that that was something that needed to be exemplified. So um, I did receive that award back in 2016, and to this day, I still feel like I was just doing my job. It, I didn't do anything extraordinary. I didn't go, um, in my opinion, didn't go above and beyond. I did what we should do for any of our military employees. Well, and I think that comes from working for a company. I mean, here at Consumers Energy, uh, we are very veteran-friendly, and that allows our supervisors to feel empowered to take care of their veterans like you did. I mean, you didn't have to make a phone call and ask your boss if this was okay. You just knew that we're going to take care of this guy and you took care of him and it, it no, you know, there was no harm. Uh, in fact, it was, it was a good thing. And it, I think it sets a great example. Well, Janice, as we get close to the end of the show, um, I'd like to ask you two more questions. And the first one is for those people who are transitioning from the military into the civilian world, um, and especially for those coming to consumers, what piece of advice would you give them? I think my greatest piece of advice is continue to do you. Um, don't falter. Don't hide yourself behind um, something that you believe that we're looking for. Uh, be you. Continue to stay on the path of being strong, being courageous, and don't allow anyone to let your military service look or be portrayed as a bad thing because it's not uh it's an amazing thing that we anyone would step up to the plate to write that check that says i have a blank check for the military for our country oh that's that's great advice uh and then on the flip side of that you know some of our supervisors 
may not uh, be used to or understand working with veterans. You know, I want to paint veterans with a broad brush, but there are certain ways that, that many veterans are. And what, so what piece of advice would you give to those supervisors who are bringing those, you know, newly uh, civilian uh, people into the workforce? My best advice would be to tap into the resource. Uh, definitely uh, the, the mindset of someone transitioning from the military life back into civilian life, their ability to think logically, to problem solve, to look at the end game uh, is amazing. And tap into that. Don't allow the, and I had it, I probably still have a little bit of it, that rough exterior that exterior is just amazing armor. Uh, so don't let that be a detriment and definitely don't let that be a barrier for you because there's a lot of really good information. You just have to, you know, stay the course and, uh, and stick with it. Well, that's some great advice, Janice. And I want to say thanks for being on the show today. And thank you to the audience for tuning in. Be sure and join us next week when we'll have our second installment as we talk with Stella Carroll, our coworker and fellow veteran.